Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're talking about lockdowns. Did they work? Didn't they? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield or write to us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. Before we get into it, Eve, I think we need to recap. For the past couple of weeks, we've been examining the science behind some of the key decisions that were made during the pandemic. The government said that they were following the science, we're following the science, we're following the data. Mm. And what we've been doing is, with a bit of hindsight and with the help of, of some scientists, examining that data, examining that science. And we've come to some interesting, I suppose, revelations, if not conclusions, mm. that PCR tests may have picked up large numbers of people who were no longer infectious, skewing the infection rate data. And of course, this figure was absolutely key because epidemiologists used it to project these models that showed that vast numbers of people were going to end up dying and being hospitalised. And it's what led to our big lockdown. Mm. And last week, we looked into the death statistic, uh, which was broadcast daily. And we asked whether or not it was all it seemed, because there are many experts who are concerned that amid the chaos of the first wave of the pandemic and then what lasted for so long afterwards... Many death certificates were written badly. And in fact, we don't know what those people died on because some of those death certificates just say COVID. When, of Mm. course, we know that it's a complicated disease that had interactions with many other illnesses that people had. And it was very discriminatory, in fact, that it mainly affected people who were unwell already. So to just write COVID on a death certificate doesn't tell us anything at all. And the reaction's been quite spicy, hasn't it? Yes, that's an interesting word to use. Something like that. I mean, we never expected for this article to be shared this widely. We knew that it's obviously a controversial topic because some of the scientists are suggesting that perhaps it might be the case that, in fact, those horrible, dreary death tolls that we saw every few weeks were, in fact, an overstatement and that perhaps there were cases where some patients were thought to have died of COVID, but, in fact, the real cause of death was something else but as you said it was so chaotic and doctors assumed that well it must be covid because they may have covid symptoms but were also symptoms of other conditions so it seems as though it's somewhat taken off with a certain you drove people wild Eve. you drove people wild and can i just say that you got retweeted by donald trump jr i never thought that would happen in my career but there you go I was, I was most impressed by that. I mean, there was a huge amount of comment online. At one point, I think Eve Simmons was trending, which is, it, again, I had it to... It happens often. My cat what, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> it was really picked up by, I suppose, you might say the Republican, uh, Republican Twitter in America, yes. who seemed absolutely fascinated by the fact that Twitter then banned the scientist who wrote the paper that we based the report on 
for two days and also slapped a warning on your article saying it was misinformation. Yeah, so you had this kind of riled up both sides of the debate because you had people on one side, as you said, the Republicans and some who kind of err on the side of conspiracy theorists. Well, I, maybe outright would be a fair thing. To yeah, call. yes, who said, well, this is a sign that the government are trying to silence social media trying to silence all these things. But they have a point, don't they? I mean, why on earth would they put our very, I'd say, specky... It It was a balanced piece. You know, it wasn't making any kind of very conclusive statement Look, here I mean, or there. I, I, I think it's fair to say in the office mm. we tend to make people fall asleep because we're so boring and give both sides <laughs> of the story and we say mm. how nuanced things are and etc etc and it, it's it's never kind of front page kind of screaming sensation. And what we were saying, we were stating the, the facts as it was found in the study that we are reporting on which was the, the very kind of the truth of the matter was that there was no standardisation in the way that deaths were reported across different health bodies, which means that the definition of death from COVID was different depending on where you died and who recorded your death. And that's that's just a neutral statement. I have to say, I'm with the conspiracy theorists, that there's something <laughs> sinister going on when Twitter is able to label a, a very well-researched, moderate article on a national newspaper website uh, as as potentially dangerous, misleading mis- misinformation. And, of course, there's never any correction to that. Uh, you know, people kept on retweeting the fact mm. that there was this warning every time they clicked on the link. And, you know, to, to what end was that put there? Who was protected? Exactly. And, in fact, all it does, and we know this from research, is push people who do perhaps have those more extreme views into more of a corner of the internet. Because they don't they're... believe anything they read because you're exactly. labelling everything with this blunt misinformation I mean, I presume it was. It must have been an AI algorithm that picked it up or something. Yeah, I, I expect that was the case. This week, we're going to hopefully enlighten people about another subject. In the third part of this investigation, we're going to look at lockdowns. And did they make a difference? A study came out in February that really caught people's attention. Some researchers, including those at John Hopkins University in the States, produced a paper that suggested that lockdown itself only reduced deaths by around 0.2%. Well, that doesn't seem very much at all. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd you be forgiven saying, why did we bother do it at all? And presumably the massive harms of lockdowns that we now know to be true would therefore massively outweigh the benefits. And it has to be said that this study has been disputed. There are those who say that there are major flaws in the way that the research was carried out. It was a review of a number of different papers that looked at the benefits Mm -hmm. of various different interventions. And apparently the definition of lockdown was different depending on which study they were looking at. There were limitations. Some said it was biased. Some said it was incorrectly done. However, it's actually one of the latest pieces of research that suggests this same thing. And there are growing numbers of well-respected experts, including epidemiologists, who do feel that lockdowns did do more harm than good and that we could have done a Sweden. We could have not locked down. What's the latest on Sweden? Before we started recording and we had this conversation and I was was very interested to see uh, when we had our first wave in 2020, there was a small ripple of cases and deaths in Sweden. Just to remind you, Sweden never locked down. They had various different restrictions in place at different times, including mask wearing and limiting contacts. Did they have curfews? 
curfews. Thought they had time curfews on people could only there be was, out for a certain amount of time. In... There was restrictions on uh, older children in schools as well and mm. universities. They closed, I think, universities. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Um, yeah, so they had a more sustained outbreak that started in around October 2020 and lasted right until the summer the next year where they were roughly bumping along around 10,000 cases a day for that whole time. And was that less than, than us or more than us at that, at that time? I expect that was roughly about the same, given that we had the vaccine. It, their wave looks similar to us, but it lasted for longer. It okay. petered out for much longer. And then in December, January this year, they had a huge Omicron spike, which is bigger, dwarfs everything else on their graph. And that lasted until February, and then it's flatline. You know, there's nothing left. Wow. And to reiterate, Sweden never locked down. So is that proof that we would have had exactly the same outcome if we wouldn't have locked down? No. You can't really compare it because we have, as we've long said, we have completely different countries, different healthcare systems, different populations, different... Different cultural norms. Different cultural yeah. norms, different population densities, all those things. And you, you can't massively compare it. But certainly they seem to have got it right for themselves to an extent. And it does beg the question, could we have avoided lockdown too? Well, there are British experts who say that perhaps that would have been the best way to deal with the pandemic. And right now we're going to speak to one. On the line now we have Mark Walhouse, Professor of Infectious Disease Epidemiology at the University of Edinburgh. Professor Walhouse, thank you very much for finding time to talk to us. We're basically looking into the impact of lockdowns and whether or not it was worth it. And you have some quite strong opinions on this. Uh, You've said that you feel lockdown did more harm than good. Could you take me through why you think that? I think that lockdown will be viewed by history as a monumental mistake on a truly global scale. This is a pandemic. Clearly, measures are needed to bring waves of infection that we've suffered under control But there are other ways to do that. Lockdown itself didn't actually have a huge impact on reducing the health burden. That that was achieved partly in other ways. So the, the balance, I think, falls firmly on the side of lockdown not being a sustainable, appropriate or even fully effective kind of intervention. I suppose to play devil's advocate to what you're saying, it would seem intuitive that if you told everyone to stay at home and never go out as we were basically told in March 2020, and and that continued for months, that there would be no further transmission of the virus and therefore everyone would be protected and it would be a highly successful thing to do. Why would that not be the case? Well, in some circumstances, that is the case. Where lockdown makes sense is in the context of a zero COVID policy. So where you're actually trying to keep the level of infections at a baseline of zero. And if you do get infection introduced into your community, one of the tools you use to drive it back to extinction is to go into lockdown. And that has worked to some degree, but in places like China and New Zealand and so on, Australia, that has worked reasonably well. The problem is for the UK, By the time we went into lockdown, it was way too late to get back to zero COVID. And so an intervention lockdown that 
in my mind, only makes sense in the context of a zero COVID policy was no longer the appropriate tool. We had a lot of letters, I remember at the time, from people who remembered prior big outbreaks of infectious respiratory infections and even polio and such like. And, and people were saying, we've never locked down before. I mean, it was quite unprecedented as something to do, wasn't it? But it wasn't just unprecedented, which it was, but it was also unplanned. We had no plans in place, not just for making lockdown work, but also for softening the blow, for dealing with all these other indirect harms that lockdown would cause. No one had thought how to make lockdown tolerable or sustainable or bearable for, for most of the population. It wasn't something we planned to do. Mm. And to go back to the benefits of lockdowns, you mentioned that there have been studies now looking at the negligible benefits of lockdown. These have been quite disputed. I imagine you, you're aware of the uh, what's often called the John Hopkins paper, that it found this 0.2% benefit in terms of reducing mortality, um, which would make you think, what the bloody hell is the point of lockdown anyway? But this has been disputed. What do you say to that? So the kind of analysis that actually the John Hopkins study did are essentially called counterfactuals. So how would things have turned out differently if we'd done something else? And the crucial thing in designing your counterfactuals, what do you compare lockdown with? And when we went into lockdown in the UK, the comparison that was on everyone's lips, that was in the media, that was being discussed by the politicians, was a comparison between having lockdown and doing absolutely nothing. And that was the big gargantuan 200,000 deaths figure, Well, well it? originally, that came down. It was originally half a million deaths was the prediction from that comparison. But that was a comparison with us all carrying on as normal. And that simply isn't a realistic comparison. So if you want to decide on the merits or, or the disadvantage of lockdown, you have to compare it with something reasonable. And when you compare it with not doing nothing at all, but actually doing quite a lot to control the virus, you find that the marginal benefit of, in particular, a legal requirement to stay in your house, that was very small. The benefits of telling people to stay indoors for a virus that doesn't transmit well out of doors. Well, there wasn't much benefit to doing that. We didn't have evidence at the time that this would be an effective intervention. It turned out not to be. It was the closing of schools, which, of course, had massive implications. But we went into that with no positive evidence that this would be an effective measure. The decision to do all of this was based on epidemiology. The team at Imperial produced this very alarming set of models these were your peers that came up with this. Do you dispute what they did? I knew the context in which those calculations were done, which is what I've already described to you, that they were comparing what would happen if you went into lockdown with what would happen if you did absolutely nothing. So it wasn't so much that I disagreed with the numbers they were coming out when they did that exercise, but it's how that information was used to drive policy. So, so where I think the problems really lie is the interface between science and policymaking. And I don't think that many policymakers understood several things about lockdown. I don't think they understood that lockdown was never going to be a permanent solution. That once we were past the zero COVID stage, which we already were well past it by then, that all lockdown would do was defer the problem. Now, my impression is there was a general feeling at the time that if we just all knuckled down and put up with this for a few weeks, Boris Johnson used the for a few weeks phrase quite frequently, that that would solve the problem. And if that were true, I think we'd all say, with hindsight, actually, yeah, that was worth doing. But it was never true. We all knew that. 
but it didn't seem to filter through into the decision-making, into the politicians' minds, into the public's mind. Professor Warhouse, do you think that if we hadn't have locked down, that there would have been fewer COVID deaths? I think there are ways we could have responded to the pandemic that would have both avoided most, perhaps not all of the lockdown, and save more lives. And this comes up to one of the crucial weaknesses of a lockdown strategy. So lockdown is about suppressing the transmission of the virus. It's not of itself directly about protecting people who are most vulnerable to this infection. And we've known who those people are from very early on. And what we should have done is put much, much more effort into protecting them. Of the people who died during that first wave, got their infections during the lockdown, most of them. The lockdown didn't save those people. So we were concentrating on lockdown and not on protecting the people who need protecting. But there were the anomalies, weren't there, though? There was a kind of significant minority of people who didn't have any underlying health problems and were in their 50s, maybe, you know, even early 60s, and very sadly died from the virus. And what was so shocking was that, you know, these were previously healthy people. You're absolutely right. And in my view, there's no question of not putting in place effective public health measures to try and control this virus. It's a very nasty infection, even if it doesn't kill you and doesn't put you in hospital. It's something we should do something about. You don't have to go as far as what some people were saying, that that vulnerable people should have to be completely isolated. I mean, that's not realistic. It's not desirable. It's not something anyone should want to do. But nor do you have to go to the extreme of locking everyone in their houses. And if you do both, you can do both with moderation. And if you do that, you save lives and you keep people out of lockdown. Professor Morehouse, you've mapped out a lot of these theories in your book, The Year the World Went Mad. What has the reaction been from the scientific community? How have you found it, speaking out about these kinds of things? I think it almost, in many people's minds, has become ideological. Whether you support lockdown or don't support lockdown is almost an ideological stance. As one of your colleagues, one of your media colleagues put it very nicely recently, said supporting lockdown in early 2020 became a test of virtue. So it was very difficult to have a balanced, objective, dispassionate debate about this, even among scientists at the time about whether lockdown was actually the right thing to do or whether this was a gross overreaction. Professor Walhouse, it's been great to speak to you. Uh, Your book is The Year the World Went Mad, a scientific memoir, and really get hold of it if you're interested in this conversation. Professor Walhouse, thanks so much. My pleasure. I think it was really interesting what Professor Walhouse was saying about how it was very difficult for even scientists to be quite detached from the issue and look at the science, which is what they're supposed to do, rather than thinking, well, does it make me a better person if I support lockdown? Because it was such a political issue. Absolutely. I think the whole thing is is still clouded by that and that tweet from Dr. Clark, you Mm. know, taking it terribly personally, like we were saying that she was a bad doctor which it's just a bizarre I don't know why people think it's a moral judgment. It has to be said that not everyone agrees with Professor Walhouse and we've got one scientist who has a different view on the line now. On the line now is Professor Stephen Griffin, who is a virologist at the University of Leeds and member of Independent SAGE. Professor Griffin, do you think that lockdowns were worth the harms that we have seen that's happened over the past year or so? Well, I certainly think that the first one was worthwhile because we didn't understand what we were dealing with. And I think that was the right thing to do 
the thing is with lockdowns is that they should always be a last-ditch measure, a last-ditch response. And it's also true that the, the longer you leave an exponentially growing epidemic, obviously the harder and, and longer your restrictions will have to be to get that back under control. So I don't think anyone would realistically say that lockdown should be a strategy. And I think it's a real shame that we've had this kind of yo-yoing between unlocking and locking down instead of having a perhaps more sensible and, and targeted approach to dealing with this infection. It's interesting that it seems that you're saying it's kind of it was a better to be safe and sorry approach at the very beginning in the first lockdown. But some scientists are saying the opposite, that in fact, in the absence of data and knowing whether lockdowns works or not, we should have avoided it and not done it at all because of the potential harms. Well, I think that's a really bad idea. I think the NHS barely coped in the first place with the first wave of infections. You know, we started from a position with probably the lowest number of critical care beds in Europe per head of population. We had a lack of respirators. We had, we were running out of oxygen by the time that the Prime Minister called an eventual lockdown. Our testing system was overwhelmed because we didn't understand how many cases there were. I think it was absolutely the right call. I know it seems intuitive that the lockdown will have, you know, made sure that didn't get out of control any further than it did. However, subsequently, there has been research that has looked at the impact of lockdown specifically and found that this was surprisingly small. So, that you know, we could have not done this very extreme, unprecedented thing and had a very similar or the same outcome. I don't understand where that's come from. Is this the John Hopkins study? Yes. Yeah, I think there are some issues with that study, frankly. If they're comparing impacts on population scales, there's absolutely no question whatsoever that locking down was the thing that prevented the most hospitalizations and deaths. And of course, if you drop the number of infections as well, then you see less morbidity and long COVID in the longer run. So I absolutely think that in the absence of a vaccine, and, and we need to remember that we didn't have anything to treat this virus back then other than supportive oxygen flow, then absolutely you, you need to reduce that case. I don't understand where those numbers come from. Well, it was a review that rounded up lots of studies, wasn't it? That There were individual studies. And I think the issue that some people have taken with the review is that they seem to have concluded that some of the studies didn't say lockdown had a great effect, when in fact, if you look at the studies and the data that they do, I mean, it's quite a refined point. The challenge to that then is to say, well, what on earth did stop people going into hospital if not the lockdown? <laughs> well, I think the point that people who say this make is that there are flaws in the epidemiological models that compared lockdowns and extreme measures like that to doing absolutely nothing and carrying on as if nothing was happening. OK, I think that there's a bit of a retrospectoscope going on there because we didn't understand exactly what was preventing this virus spreading. We, we were very much focused on hand hygiene and, and things like that rather than understanding that this was a predominantly aerosolized virus, for example. The value of masks wasn't clear. And so you would think that the later lockdown, the big one, that was absolutely warranted as well? I think it's important to note that SAGE advised that we should do something back in September. Well, to put in restrictions, they said. So, you know, the fact is, and we're probably seeing it again now, that when the sun's shining, our response to COVID seems seasonal, whereas the virus really isn't. There has always been a reluctance to implement procedures that will negate spread soon enough, which means that later on, there's a need to make them more impactful and more long-lasting to get things back under control. So I don't accept that you could have just let it run. And just you were saying about the modelling. 
Okay. Now, yes, there could potentially have been better decisions made based on the modeling, okay, and there could have been other inputs other than modeling, but modeling is exactly what modeling is, and the modeling papers said this is just one of a range of different scenarios, and there are different scenarios there. It's then a political decision to make those choices, and the fact is that we cannot make those comparisons because we cannot tell what might have happened had there not been any restrictions put in place. It's an impossible comparison to make. We're about to experience another huge surge of this virus, which will again give us NHS pressure, people dying in droves and severe hospitalizations. Do you think there should be a lockdown? No, I don't think there should be a lockdown. I think we could have been doing things prior to this. To me, it's a failure of our strategy that we've had to have more than one, right? But there are so many things that we could do to get transmission down, we should not be swinging back and forth between opening up like crazy and locking back down until the prevalence of this virus gets down further. Because prevalence challenges are waning vaccines, prevalence means that clinically vulnerable people are exposed, and prevalence also means when it's this high that the, the, the reduced likelihoods of things like children becoming unwell, for example, actually in real terms becomes a very unfortunate number, even though it's a proportionately small number of a very large numerator. This has been quite a hotly debated topic in scientific circles. Our last dispatch in this series that we were doing caused quite a stir on Sunday when we looked at the death statistics. And you got quite cross about this. And you feel that our story should have been retracted. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, but it's, it's based on a very questionable study. I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not sure I'd call it necessarily a study. It's a, it was a review of, of FOI, FOI requests. requests. I'd call it an opinion. Which they make quite clear. Yes, I know. But they're basically accusing clinicians of misrepresenting causes, death on certificates. And that's not correct. That's not what is... Eve wrote it, the piece, so... <laughs> In fact, in the piece, we make it quite clear that the main problem, as we explain, is the chaos that surrounded the 2020 wave. And therefore, you know, in some respects, it was even the policy that meant that doctors who couldn't even see patients properly because they were examining care home residents, for instance, over the phone. And there's experts that say that in hindsight, you know, that wasn't a great policy. And it's not in no place in the piece do we come down on individual clinicians at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I think it's really important that we're able to talk about these things without without misrepresenting them to one another. No, that's true. That's fair enough. I apologise. I think it's probably because there's a bit of a track record in denying the, the death incidences from certain quarters, and I guess that was probably just frustration on my part. Do you think it's become more of an ideological or politicised debate as to whether you wholeheartedly support certain measures or not? I think there are political elements, yeah, and I think that's really unfortunate. I mean, I, I try and stick to policies rather than politics myself. You know, I think the problem is with that sort of thing is that it has fueled rather extreme view, views in terms of, you know, there are certain individuals who have decided to start investigating death certificates, for example, you know, charging people for it. And that sort of thing is really questionable. And, you know, we have to remember that, yes, there may well be incidences where things go wrong. I don't deny that might happen. But to suggest that it's got some kind of major profound decrease in the deaths recorded due to COVID, I think that's really quite questionable. I don't see really what this has to do with lockdowns. But it's really quite worrying to see with a retrospectoscope that, that there are some minimising things going on about the pandemic, which is an understandable need to want to move on from it. But it's, the simple fact is that it's not over yet. 
So I don't, I don't really understand some people's attitudes. And I'm not saying that you're, you're of that view at all. I just think it's, it's really disappointing when you see some people's views on the severity of this virus, the clinical impact that it had, the, the impact on NHS workers, and the state of what happened in care homes was just deplorable. I guess it just probably hits the nerve when people start attacking the death rates. And even if you just base it on excess deaths, you're still talking 130,000 rather than 180,000. So it, it feels like people are trying to split hairs over something which is dreadful no matter which way you slice that cake to me. Mm, very fair point. Very fair point. Absolutely. Professor Griffin, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. Thanks a lot for having me. Cheers. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Well, an apology. That's nice. (laughs) Don't get those very often. I think he felt a little bit ambushed. Yes, possibly. No one likes to have their tweets uh, read back at them. But I think it proves what we know to be true, which is that, unfortunately, some people just read the headline or maybe read the first few paragraphs and don't actually think much about the piece. I mean, I'm not saying that Professor Griffin hasn't read the piece, but uh, that's certainly the impression that I got. But also, when we talk about things, we can have a very good conversation. Mm. And, you know, if there's anything that we can learn today... (laughs) So we need to have a conversation. It's time to talk, yes. Well, I'm not sure if I have in my mind a definitive answer to our question whether or not lockdowns worked. I'd say both the experts we spoke with today were very persuasive in what they said. Mm. And I don't suppose until more research is done that we will have a clearer idea. Something that keeps coming up from the experts that I have spoken to is this real difficulty in separating the outcomes that were caused by lockdown itself and the legal order to stay at home Mm. and people's changing behaviour anyway. So it's really difficult to separate, you know, what was the result of the fact that we weren't allowed to go out and would we have stayed inside anyway? The other thing that scientists have pointed out to me, just to play devil's advocate, and I know that madness lies in comparing other countries with us, but there were countries that have had a devastating impact of COVID and never introduced any lockdowns or any strict restrictions, but they still had lots and lots of deaths. Brazil, for instance, and India. Yes, and, you know, we have to say as well, the zero COVID countries, I mean, what an absolute disaster is going on in Hong Kong right now. Yeah, it's, it's uh, terrible. You know, it's a horror show. China also is just about show. to go into another lockdown or has They're just in. gone? Large parts of China are in lockdown. Again, it's some kind of time warp. I don't think that's the way forward either. And I guess we'll only get the answer when we start to, you know, look back with Stephen Griffin's retrospectoscope. Yeah. Because it can be helpful. Useful tool. And we don't want to make the same mistakes again and no, again. No, exactly. It's about learnings, isn't it? So that we... Madness lies, doesn't it? We can it? change for the next pandemic. For the next we'll one. We'll tools in our toolbox. Well, let's hope lockdown doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, Eve, because you're getting married. Oh, shit, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I was but very like almost there. almost a year and a half forget, of this podcast, I didn't forget about you've my been wedding. complaining about the fact that lockdowns oh, have gotten away. Every I'm single... so over it. Uh, yes. yes, it is true. Eve is getting married. Yes, finally. 
finally, three years later. So Mazel tov. Thanks. <laughs> well, let's hope we don't get into another lockdown in the next month. Exactly. And that is all we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening. You can read all the latest health news in this weekend's Mail on Sunday and get all the detail about what we've been talking about today. And as we said before, if you've got questions or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with another topic on Medical Minefield. See you then. Goodbye.